What were you doing all this time away? Holding a door closed. I had my back against it and my arms out wide because I knew there were monsters in the other side and they wanted what was left of our family. And I held it so hard. I didn't have arms left for the kids. The monsters got through anyway. That's what monsters do. But not here. No, especially here. They're, they're out there in the woods. They're out there and we're in here and the children are finally safe. But no, no, they're, they're not. They're dying. They're waking. This is our forever house. It always was. Nothing bad will ever touch them ever again. Nothing good will either. Open that door. I know you can open that door. I know you love the people in that room more than anything. I won't let you take them away again. They'll die. If they will die if they stay. They're dying now. Our babies are dying. Let them go. You have always said that our job was to send them sailing. That was a dream. Out into the world. A dream. Into the world. Let them go. I'll be alone again. scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Fear of God podcast. Here at the Fear of God podcast, we find the holy and the horrific at the intersection of faith and fear dissecting what scares us in order to find what saves us. Welcome to you. Whether you've been with us two plus years, whether you've been with us two plus weeks, uh, we are thankful you're here. Um, Speaking to you now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse. Now, typically with me um, is just, he's he's a fan of horror. I don't know, y'all may have met him before, but uh, typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. Now, he was here a minute ago, but he did step away, claiming that he had to go hold the door. We'll suss out. We'll figure out what that means here in a few minutes. But um, in the meantime, while he is gone, I do want to entreat, implore, uh, encourage, maybe even inspire one of you to go and leave a rating or a review. Um, this is a really fun way we can sort of grow the podcast. We will also be featuring some of these on our Instagram page, which is Fear of God Podcast, if you're on the old Insta. You know, we'll, we'll put some of those up there. We put a lot of fun stuff up there. Come find us on there. Regardless, if you haven't done so, and I know you're one of you, I know it's, it's you that's you're listening to me right now. You're like, 
I know. I haven't done it yet. Go do it. It'll be amazing. You'll feel so good about yourself. Uh, in the meantime, Reed. Hey, buddy. Hello. You're here. You're here. I made Welcome. it. Welcome back to the house that Lackey and Nathan built. Oh, I, I tell you, Nathan. Normally, I would enter in with some frivolous little jokey thing where I'm like, "Oh, I'm so silly. I'm I'm really an old man in a middle aged man's body." <laughs> Normally, I would, you know, I would I would make some sort of self deprecating humorous attempt at humorous thing, but. I'm so intimidated by this conversation. Like I'm excited for it, but I'm intimidated. There's like a for real. It. There's like a. There's like a, a. There's like there's some. I don't know, man. It's like silence it's, lays it's in, steadily it's in the air. In this house. Oh yeah. my gosh, know, it's true. So if if I don't know if you've been with us before, listener, but this is a very special episode. So on a very special we have fear of God. A very special fear of God today. <laughs> we 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 take a look at the Crane family. Um. <laughs> Uh, so this is the culmination of a previous nine weeks. This is the tenth week. Mm. It is itself the culmination of a nine-week examination of the Mike Flanagan Netflix series, The Haunting of Hill House. Um, it is in itself. This episode is also the ultimate episode of our current series we're in, that of Flannel Graph Flanagan. And say that three times fast, Reed. Um <laughs> And like you read, like I'm just, I don't know, like there was wisdom in how we approach this TV show and our coverage. Mm. I don't know that there's wisdom in trying to wrestle down this house in it's, one row. Admittedly, what will likely be a robust episode, but like, oh my gosh, all the rooms, all the nooks and crannies, yes, all the little, indeed. you know, the, the, there's the, um, uh, there's the dumb waiter that goes down to the basement. We got to figure out what's down there. There's the, oh you know, the, tele- the little little telephone thing that goes up to the upper room. We got to figure out what's up there. You know, we mm. got to go. Uh, we got to figure out how to get into the red room. I mean, how are we going to do that? Like, there's oh, so geez. much to explore. But, but, brother, I'm glad you are with me because I, I, I can't imagine, you know, being in this house that is so haunted with anyone but you because <laughs> brother those who walk there walk together and i'm glad Aww. that you're with me and we're gonna walk together as Absolutely. we suss suss out uh the house that hill built Absolutely. um i suppose you know we should we should stave off a little bit while our spirits sort of get stirred up Acclimate. and uh, i just yeah, yeah, yeah. Get try to find some sort of frequency of this mm-hmm. crazy house. Uh, but in the meantime, Reed, I just gotta know what you watching. Mm. What you reading? Mm. What you listening to? Mm. I love how, like, for some weird reason, while you were singing that, I evidently became one of the Skeksis from the Dark Crystal. I was like, mm. the what? Oh wow! Mm. I didn't, <laughs> like, I didn't know what you said for a second there. <laughs> You're like, what is what is this language? One of the, the sexies from the Dark Crystal. I don't remember that. Are you making <laughs> Are you making up words again, Reed? Are you doing this? There he goes again. Uh, but yes. So anyway, uh, what am I so watching? What you, what you watching, reading, and listening to, brother? So okay. So I have two things I want to mention in brief. One of which I know you uh, are are at least engaging with on some level, uh, maybe at the same pace that I am. Um, so I'm going to start with the somewhat unique thing. So my wife and I are only a couple of episodes into it, so I do not know yet how I can, you know, how it will all play out. Uh, but 
the second season, the long-awaited second season, or second part, as it were, of the OA has hit Netflix. Mm. Um, I didn't forget. I know you started it, but did you finish part one of the OA? No? No way. Okay, no way. (laughs) Okay, so I will say this without going into a whole bunch, and, and we're only in you know, a couple of episodes into part two. Um, it's very cerebral, and the first part, at least initially, kind of feels a bit like it's all over the place, but where it coalesces, for me, I mean, there was a lot of think pieces, both criticizing it and applauding it after, like, when it first came out, but I was... The experience when I watched the final episode of season one, part one, if you will, of the OA is one of those rare moments where, Nathan, we finished it that evening after, you know, plowing through two or three episodes to conclude the series. We finished it at somewhere around 11.15, 11.30 that night, right? I could not relax. I could not settle down. I was so moved and just enthralled with what I had just seen. I stayed awake that night by, by again, by sheer dancing. Just, no, by, by okay. just my brain going so much. I stayed awake that night till like after four in the morning and oh I had, gosh. and had to write down so many of my thoughts on what I had just seen um, because of how deeply and what an impact it had had on me and on my being and on my personhood. And I think back on it, Quite often. It is a potentially polarizing ending. I'm not going to give any indication as to what it is here. It is a potentially polarizing ending. To the first season. To the first season, the first right, part. Right. Um, but I, I want, I badly want you to finish that first part. Um, simply because I want to discuss the ending with you and get your thoughts and tell like I would make a case that even though it's not really horror there's you know I would love to maybe have a discussion either on the show or just you and I have a conversation about it I know you struggled a little bit to get through that first part but so many things coalesce in that final episode in ways that I was not expecting and that really affected me and I would really love to know your thoughts on it so all of that to say part two is here I don't know if part two is going to have the same effect on me as part one had, but I'm very excited and eager to see more. How many, of the how many are there? Uh, there's eight episodes to the first season and eight episodes to the fir- to the second season. And you're in, you're through two of them. Yeah. We're th- I'm two. through the first two of them. So, and it's funny because both seasons have the same rhythm where like the early episodes are like over an hour long. They're like, you know, an hour 10, an hour five or whatever like that. And then as it gets later into the season, they're like 40 minutes and one of them is only 30 minutes and stuff. So it's, it's funny. Like the episodes abbreviate as Something you get a to look bit closer to. to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not all going to be Which that is, long. Okay. They're not. I was going to say, that's not me knocking the show. Just no, run times in general. So, um, anyway, so, you know, we, we did start it. Um, I don't remember, like we got at least two, maybe three in. And, and, okay. I have no explicit reason why we stopped. I do like Britt Marling a lot. Um, what yeah. little we did watch, you know, was compelling. I think, you know, the the sort of, I, I joked a minute ago about the dance sequence. Like, I had read a few think pieces about that aspect of it. And it wasn't so much that it was a turnoff. It was just, okay, you know, like a piece of media TV or movie or whatever will be so like in the zeitgeist yeah, very profoundly right. in a moment that it kind of like, okay, well, uh, you know, 
there's oh a, gosh so you know but i don't so know you, any of the context yeah i just uh, know but the, I just know. Uh, I just know. Dance saves the world. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so that's all right. So, so we're all right. You said enough right now that like, uh, my heart hurts just a little bit. That's not a criticism, but like my heart hurts just no. a little bit because well, I think part of the part of why it was such a big deal is I. I mean, I I didn't know anything. I didn't. Sure, I didn't. Sure. I didn't have any context for it. So you, being the smart, savvy person that you are, simply knowing the statement that you just made to me uh-huh. is is likely to dilute a lot of the impact that the final episode might have for you. Right. I don't know that that's true, but so it, it, it part of what uh, excited and and sort of galvanized me so much about it was it's there is an element to it of the unexpected. And the unexpected element of it is so much of what I was like, oh my god, because it was very much like the this this thing sweeping in that that you've had a myriad of different thoughts or feelings about prior to this event. But again, I'm not going to spoil the the full context. But something happens, and you as the viewer are seeing this thing happen, and so you're like, oh my god, like what is what's everybody going to do? that this thing is what's come upon them. And so then the very fact that you would say like dance saved the world, you'll know because, <laughs> because it's one of those things where like getting in there, I was like, what's, what's dance that? off, bro. I know. But it's like, so, so what's about, so what's about to happen? Like what, what is it? And so then the fact that that happens, I was Nathan. I mean, I can't, I can't quite articulate effectively what it did to my spirit. To see, it, to see it I all mean, come into it. Was it like a Billy Elliot, Elliot moment for you? Like you no, just, no. You had to, I just want to dance on the belly. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. You're just a poof. You're just a poof and nothing but a poof. No, You'll no. always be a poof. No, 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 no. It was just, and, and I, wrote, I wrote an entire, <laughs> if you have seen, and maybe we, sh- maybe we should link to it on Instagram or something like that, but I wrote an entire article. Don't uh, pigeonhole for, Instagram. For, but no, I wrote I wrote an entire article on more than one lesson about like yeah, it was it it was this sort of it it inspired a lot of thoughts to me about how these unexpected creative otherworldly moments can change the DNA of a situation in ways that you hmm. might not be really right. aware of. And and so, I would still encourage you to watch it saddens my heart a little bit that you even know as much as you do i would be still curious to hear your thoughts going into the whole thing because it was yeah i was i was very affected by it so like in your estimation the title of the series seems to be lacking like a w and an h on the front like that would kind of do a little the whoa (laughs) (laughs) the whoa (laughs) that's my (laughs) we're ready for part two of the whoa I love when a joke lands. Your 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 eyes just got real buggy and smiley. And that was great. That was great. Oh, that's great. That was a very lucky look. Okay, so, <laughs> so the woe is your the woe. Okay, uh, I've got two. Do you have any others? I have one other. Okay, let me throw one at you, and then you can throw at me, and back and forth we go. Um, so um, last week we talked about diverse voices and 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 pursuing those and or making oneself available to those. Interestingly, I I know you know this exists. I want to share it with our listeners who may not know it exists. So our sister uh, horror enterprise, Shudder, 
Mm-hmm. You hear that shutter? We're we're happy to advertise for you or be advertised with you if you want to work out a partnership. I know you're out there listening, um, but no, uh, Shutter uh, has started releasing a podcast series called uh, "She Kills." Well, this um, was actually is... my second one, so oh, yes, I will let I'm you. Sorry, no, don't apologize. No, don't apologize. Um, we'll just share whoa. it together. <laughs> the whoa, um, which is. Sort of hosted by Adrienne Barbeau, um, she of the Fog fame, Reed. <laughs> oh, look at that. It's all look there. It's all I there. I watched that movie. Um, but She Kills is a podcast where every episode they will host two uh, women kind of in the horror world or adjacent to the horror genre. And, you know, it's it's this actor who was in this, like Jennifer Tilly was on one. That was one of my favorite um, episodes that Jennifer Tilly. That was a good one. That I was a good a one. Um, Deschanel, not Zoe, but her sister and Emily, Emily Deschanel yeah. mm-hmm. was on one of them for her work in the, the series bones. So some really interesting guests and some, Oh, and a uh, Karen Kasama. That was her episode too. Yes. That was a great one. Yes. That was a very good one. Um, so interesting people who are specifically women having interesting conversations about, women's representation in horror and that sort of thing it's the and and maybe you can unpack this a little bit if you want the the structure the format is a little off kilter to me sometimes but i do love the conversations Hmm. um you know and i think it's a valuable and they're usually only like what 35 minutes or so somewhere in there they're not like overly long um so yeah it's it's a very engaging podcast and very you know it's something that I would not have two and a half years ago thought I will listen to that. Right. Um, but you know, given this sort of diversity of voices as well as horror content, it's, it's been really interesting to me to listen to. Absolutely. Um, no, I highly recommend it. I mean, it, I think it's great when he says that it's somewhat hosted by Adrian Barbo is because she opens every episode and closes every episode and occasionally breaks in with some contextual questions, but the two featured guests are really the ones having the conversation. They just, you know, bounce back and forth. And it's been fascinating to hear the differing perspectives on certain elements of the horror genre that involve women that I would not have known. Like, I was really fascinated. I think it was uh, the episode with Pollyanna McIntosh and Stacey Lane Wilson where they were talking about the ways in which peril is sometimes treated more straightforwardly and sometimes it's somewhat eroticized and and they had a you know a, a, again a fascinating conversation about the ways in which like a woman storyteller would approach certain subjects like revenge films or something like that you know they they talk about the film revenge which we've mentioned on the podcast mm. I've um, not listened to that one yet uh but the ways in which they would women voices would approach that subject matter versus the way you know men have typically portrayed it and and it is it's it's very fascinating to hear the different approaches to something that as a longtime fan of the horror genre is is very common to me as a trope but to hear it addressed in a new perspective is very refreshing i'm kind of disappointed because there's only two more episodes in the in the first season and then that's oh really that's the end of I didn't it. yeah catch that. yeah oh. well see the reason is because shutter is so you're listening i presume through some sort of podcast outlet and they're dropping in like an episode or two per week shutter right now through the through the service has uh-huh. all 10 
has has oh, has all of them available. Interesting. Um, so I had listened to a few sort of scattershot here and there, and then um, you know I haven't listened to everything. I still have two that I need to catch up with. But um, but yeah, it's it's a very it's a very interesting and compelling podcast, and and I would throw in my recommendation hat with Nathan. I think it's I think it's very very good. Well. My other uh, what you're watching is I watched the first season six months or so ago and then let it lie for a bit, anthology series and that of Channel Zero. Mm-hmm. I am going to mm-hmm. unpack Channel Zero here for a minute. Um, Something Cove. What was the name of the first one? Candle Cove. Cove. Candle Cove. Mm-hmm. And goodness gracious, there's a lot to appreciate. One, if you just like horror the genre, you will love Channel Zero. Um, it is utterly and absolutely fits the bill and is yeah. itself oh, yeah. quite dreadful and terrifying. Candle Cove has some really amazing kind of creature designs to it. Um, I like Candle Cove a lot. I like the format of the show a lot. This anthology series, just six episodes per season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The second season called uh, No End House, I did finish about a week ago. No End House is really strong. It's very heavy. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. But the loose premise of No End House, because it's fresher on my mind, and that would be more of my explicit what you're watching, is just yeah. think this kind of the current thing, the escape room idea, but but blown out a little bit. So it's like this social media attraction that happens, that kind of this pop-up mm-hmm. experience uh, for kind of the youth culture type thing. Well, you go into this house and you literally get lost and mm-hmm. and envision a sort of consumptive. I mean, we've referenced this with Hill House, the language they use in that, this kind of consumptive thing that kind of right. intends intends to trap you in it. So, which honestly does not do justice. That's the loose premise, but that does not do justice to the layers upon layers. Oh, it's wave, very labyrinthine. Weave into these six yeah. episodes. It's really impressive. Very impressive. So I, I actually do – I would recommend that – both actually both of those. Candle Cove is strong mm-hmm. and it's got some great creature design. No End House is very strong and it, it is very heavy. Like the deeper I got into No End House, the more kind of heavy it made me feel. I will touch on this real quick because I did start – I'm three into the third season, which is called Butcher Block or Butcher's Block. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you and I haven't talked about this. I think I might be out – Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, if you're, if you're listening and you're familiar with Channel Zero, uh, the third season is very, very violent and gross. Yeah. Yeah. The most of any of the four. It really really, is. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very disturbing imagery. And, and, uh, it's, there's a, it's got a cannibalistic type of vibe to it. Yeah. that hear me production wise is fantastic i mean i'm well, not sure can't sure knock that at all it's just so there is some speculation much uh, yeah I, I apologize if i'm cutting you off but there no is, no there, please there is some speculation because the the uh when channel zero seasons one and two came out terribly popular very very popular um and you know we're, we're very responsive i think season two did marginally less than season one did in terms of just attracting viewership but Butcher's Block comes out, and when Butcher's Block comes out and airs on the Sci-Fi Channel, this is what was so weird about it. Butcher's Block came out like in the early part of last year, uh, I want to say like early 2018, and it aired, and it aired weekly, you know, one episode per week, 
and I don't know what the viewership was, but for some weird reason, and of course it's a, it's very heavy. You've already mentioned it's a, it's a it's terribly violent and uh, off putting in a lot of ways. But Butcher's Block finishes airing, and then Shutter announces that season four, which is called The Dream Door, not only has completed, but will air six nights in a row as like sort of this big event thing in October. And mm. so then they aired it one episode per night, just sort of blasted the dream door out there. And then without much fanfare canceled the show. And yeah. I have wondered, I've speculated, I don't know for certain, but butcher's block is so sort of intense. And, uh, you know, there's, there's not really any light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, I'm just letting you know, like, you know, you oh, make wow. it, you make yeah. your own choices about, you know, whether to finish it or not, if you're curious <laughs> to see whatever, but, you know. I but think I, you just addressed it then. <laughs> but, um, but I have wondered, I mean, I don't know, and Sci-Fi Channel wasn't really saying, but I have wondered if sort of the oppressive and graphicness of that third season maybe lost them some viewers, and if the viewership went down to a place to where they're like, okay, well, we've already greenlit production on season four, we'll let season four finish and then go. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was different right. things, but um, I actually really did like The Dream Door quite a bit. Currently, if if listeners are wondering where they can catch this, Sci-Fi Channel has all four available to stream, I believe. Like, if you have access to, like, a cable provider, Sci-Fi Channel uh, has them on demand. Um, and then, of course, Shudder, the service we, we keep referencing, has the first three seasons available. I do not know if they will ever add the fourth season, The Dream Door, or uh, or what. Mm. But, um, mm. but I will say, as off-put as you are of season three, if you ever get access to Dream Door... Check that one out. I mean, I know you okay. j- you kind of joked with me like, oh, I'm out because, yes, it's got a freakish clown in it, but the tone oh, is... Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, but the tone is is much more in alignment with maybe the first one where it's like it's scary, but there's there's some things that you can kind of root for and come up in in the midst of all the, the oppression. Yeah, and so. I, think, I think if I had to categorize what I've seen so far, like season one is just just this really competent creepy again i referenced the creature design there's some some really effective production work in this six episode arc that that leaves you more like impressed with the whole and then season two takes it 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 is it's it's heavy but the value in season two is it does kind of have that kind of hero moment in its final run mm. in terms of, in terms of just mildly happy ending. If you, know, if you yeah, call it sure, that. sure. Um, whereas season three so far is just so that's pretty brutal. Man, yeah, man, it's, pretty it's, brutal. it's rough. Um, but that said, you know, I do think, I do think if you just really love the horror genre, you will love channel zero. That's no, like, absolutely. Yeah. My potential out on season three is not, disrespect for the series it's actually a very well-made well-crafted i mean i'll be honest with you nathan it's yeah in some would view it as a compliment to the series because it has it has sort of driven you by its effectiveness it has if i'm understanding your assessment correctly like like it is heavy enough that you're like i I don't know how much more of this i can take yeah so some people will view that as a compliment to the show well hey yeah take that for what it's worth (laughs) um (laughs) Regardless, this has been another episode of What You Watching. <laughs> what are you reading? <laughs> what you listening to? Mm? Yep. Yep. We'll read The Woe. <laughs> the Woe. That's great. <laughs> <laughs>
That's one of your. Uh, that's one of my favorite new little like joke quip things that yeah, you've done. That's pretty well, good. Yeah, that's when you when you turn on whoa episode <laughs> three of season two, you'll just chuckle a bit. I will. I will. Um, Reed, we can't do it any. We can't. <sighs> we must not we can't delay wait any longer. It's time nope. to. Um, we are the key, brother. That's the secret. It's time to the walk time into the come. red room. The time has come. Um, um, I yeah, heard. Please. I heard through the grapevine that you had a bit of uh, a, a bit of trivia to share with us about either this episode or the show or 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 what got, as a whole. I got some bits. You got some bits. I do. Let's let's hear them. So we haven't mentioned yet, uh, even though this announcement came a couple weeks ago. So there has been an announcement from Netflix of a second season. Yes. Um, it it is in fact, and interestingly, uh, pouring over interviews with Flanagan. Uh, previous to this and probably as early as it, the release of the series, uh, its initial season, you know, I, I am sure, I imagine there are conversations e- even just peripherally uh, in early stages of production with a series like this of, hey, you know, we, we are going to option the possibility of further stuff, but, you know, yeah. nonetheless, nothing concrete. He had definitively stated to him the Crane family story was done. Um, yes, but you know, not until, I mean, at this point, probably late February, early March, Mm -hmm. um, they officially announced the second season, which is going to be called the haunting of Bly Manor, Mm. which will, which will itself be an adaptation of the turn of the screw, which I've not read. That book is great. That's a classic ghost story. The best, the, the current, there are multiple film adaptations of the turn of the screw, in a variety of ways over time. Probably the best, the strongest, is a film from the 1960s, I want to say, called The Innocents, um, starring Deborah Carr. Um, that is sort of, you know, a very faithful adaptation to the book. But I, but like this one, which evokes effectively the spirit of Shirley Jackson's right, original right. novel, but changes uh, nearly everything about the surrounding plot and everything, I... Am very very curious to see how he approaches the story of the turn of the screw because the turn of the screw the novel is basically about uh, a new governess like a like a a nanny comes in to to care for these two children and it quickly becomes apparent to her that the two children are haunted by some sort of apparently malevolent but they're not quite sure type of spirit and the uh-huh. the intentions are a mystery the what it, what is the spirit ultimately after in these children and and all this well, well let me ask you I'm yeah sorry, go, ahead. go ahead no 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 go ahead you asked me a question i was going to say knowing what you know about the shirley jackson book and now the series do you think would you recommend to your co-host or to listeners there's value in reading turn of the screw previous to the actual potential watching of it because it will likely be so divergent I'm going to go ahead and say yeah, because I have a feeling Flanagan will will approach things the same way. The formula with Hill House worked really effectively. I, f- I have a feeling he's going to do the same thing, where he's going to like try to unpack for himself the themes that Henry James's novel was exploring, and then mm-hmm. explore them in his own way. So, and and Turn of the Screw is as Haunting of Hill House was is very brief. It is it is extremely brief. If you were really devoted to sort of getting through it, obviously it's an older novel, so it's much uh, it's m- much less 
focused on dialogue. It's a lot of descriptive passages and such, but it is only, I think, I think it's less than 200 pages. It is very, very brief. Um, Interesting. And so, but yeah, I would, I would recommend it and I'm very excited to see what, what he does with it. It's coming next year in 2020. Yeah. It's funny finishing Hill House again. I don't disagree with the notion. and I don't think it's misguided to be done with the cranes, but especially episodes nine and 10 of Hill house made me interested in what could have been another series set in Hill house featuring the poppy era characters. Oh, interesting. You know like I mean? going back a prequel kind of thing. Yeah. 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 That's interesting um, because, because it feels like there's a lot of story there to mine. Sure. Um, that could be, that could be intriguing regardless. So Bly Manor, that will be next year. Um, just a few little bits of trivia that I did discover on reading for this. I would never would have noticed this. It's possible you did. In the first episode, when Victoria Pedretti, who plays Nell, mm. towards the end of the episode, is dancing through the house. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There is. Well, I know you noticed the scene. I, everyone noticed that. But there's a wow. there's an there's <laughs> there's an artifact on the wall in Hill House that is the lasser glass from Oculus, the film. The I, so what's funny is I had heard that piece of information, but no, I, I, I would not have known it. I would not have yeah, seen yeah. it and visibly and I known. Didn't, yeah, yeah. I yeah. didn't uh, see it myself, but I just thought that was a pretty amazing uh, shared universe nod there. Um, another thing that you probably know, I'm sure you do, because um, you're lackey. Uh, I, I and, do know. And you're like, whoa. I do know um, everything. Right, right. Um, there are hidden ghosts all oh my gosh, it's so over funny you that. the series. Yeah, what? Well, because I was going to recommend to people before we got into the meat of the episode, like, go down the rabbit hole. If you've seen the show, yeah. go down the rabbit hole, look up Google search or something like the, the hidden ghosts of Hill House or something. Because a lot of it is just a still shot of those images and you can see them they're right there yeah. but as you're oh, watching the episode evident. it probably was not standing out to you because there's forward movement for the main action and everything but oh my gosh it's what's so it's great about that read is now i had no idea they were peppered throughout but i the first time through watching this series um listeners of a little while I think I've referenced this on the show before, but my mother-in-law moved in with us back uh, early last year or actually late last year, but she likes horror material. So, you know, um, I watched Hush with her. Um, Did she like it? Yeah, I think so. Um, But I watched Hill House with her. And I remember there's a scene when young Hugh is working in the basement on the wall. The, the oh, tall man is yes, in, which, yeah. mm-hmm. yes, by the way, he is the tall man. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a frame. There's a shot that's framed such that Hugh is leaning towards the wall and it's in profile. And I'll be doggone if I didn't catch one in that shot. Oh, really? And I paused it for her and I was like, hey, look. But I had no idea this was like a running thing throughout the whole series. Oh, for real? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Wow. I, wow. I just, I, you know, for whatever reason... I picked up on it in the moment and I rewound it to double check myself in the moment. And I paused it right there and I said, look at that. She's like, what? I was like, look, there's a profile of a ghost right there. It was, it was pretty cool. So it's great. Yeah. I mean, they're now what's really funny about this is if you, like I did 
go down the rabbit hole as you alluded to of of looking at these screenshots dude they're pretty creepy like, oh they're oh they're really yeah. unnerving yeah <laughs> i was looking unnerving. it up i was looking it up one night i'm like uh seeing these hidden ghosts <laughs> is scarier than watching the show like oh well, my god yeah because in most of the instances the individual ghost is in a place it's kind of they're kind of in the periphery but most yeah. of the time they're just standing there like either oh, yeah. staring at the action that's taking place yep. or they're you know blending in to the rest of the background and it's Oh yeah, like and once you spot them, you can't unsee them. You're like, oh my gosh, they're right there. It's yeah, it's pretty nuts. But what a great, I mean, you know, like like clearly, clearly, we're affectionate towards Flanagan as a as a uh, crafter of story and film. But like, what what a masterful command of your production. Oh, absolutely, pull absolutely. that off, and not just once or twice, but it's there's at least probably twenty twenty five of them hidden yeah. throughout the series. Oh yeah. Um, so, so I just really love that. So, uh, slight spoiler alert for the very end of the series. It does have, uh, for this show, a happy ending, but interestingly, you may have seen this. I don't know, but my kind of last trivial bit here is the one tell of the red room. Um, do you know what the tell is in terms of the geography of the room? Uh, I'm I'm not quite sure where you're going. Well, you I, I, there, there's there's a there's a there's an aspect to the room that is consistent through each iteration of it, and it okay. is there's there's a uh, picture kind of a a um a rectangle on its upended so so okay. you know, a vertical right. a vertical rectangle window okay that is that is present in every iteration. Oh, um, interesting. Okay, yes. All right. I'll have to look back so, at that one scene where they're going through all of the the things. Um, you see it in the white room okay. when when Luke shows up. You see yeah. it in uh, well, I'm, you can pick it out in all of them, but the ones that are they're very evident is the treehouse okay. um, when Luke, when Luke is sitting there. Where I'm going with this is Flanagan almost until the day of shooting. So the final, it might be the literal final shot. I can't remember. Um, one of the final shots of the 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 series is the siblings. With a now pregnant Lee, they're presenting a cake, uh, presumably a, a sobriety cake, to Luke, and it's this real celebratory thing. He had entertained putting that window in the background. Oh wow, that's crazy! The 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 presumption then being that they never left, that they never got out. Right, oh, right, wow. and and up until I don't know that it was literally the day of shooting, or or if that was a post production sort of element ad anyway, but right. his his the choice to not was he said these people have been through too much mm, and it would yeah. just be too too kind of cruel of a of a choice to kind of subject them to that yeah but i just i, I kind you of know, agree just, i really that. love it yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. i yeah. think it's a i think i don't know this but i think that would leave a very different flavor in my mouth about you know kind of what i feel about the show but anyway you know those those are just a few a few bits i had um, sure sure i mentioned this a minute ago but just to really draw a clean line here i referenced this a couple of weeks ago looking back through well actually you know what i won't get ahead of myself because it's revealed in this episode okay um so let's read come on brother let's uh. let's I, I don't like i want to and i don't want to but we're here so episode <laughs> 10 of the haunting of hill house yes. um it's been it's quite called a journey silence lay steadily Silence lay steadily, taken from a monologue Stephen delivers late in the episode. You know, I will I will give another anecdote, much like episode nine. 
I know it seems like it. I am a generally sensitive person. That's fine. But I don't like openly weep at mm. stuff. I yeah. did during Inside Out, the movie, when I saw it in the theater. Yeah, my, likewise. My, my, you know, you take your kids to the Pixar movie and you end up being the one blubbering. I was like, oh my God. Um, <laughs> They're looking at you like, calm down, dad. Good grief. And then when, when Goofball Island falls into the abyss, I'm like, oh no, Goofball mm-mm, Island. Mm-mm. Oh my God. And let's not even go um, there with Bing Bong. I do. Like, come on. I know. Like, oh my gosh. Bing Bong. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. Yeah, like, you're right, right? That is the gosh. that is the most tragic. Bing Bong's my favorite Disney character because that is the most tragic thing maybe ever. ever. Yeah, that has because who's your friend that likes to play? Oh no! Stop! Take her, take her to the moon for me, okay? Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! I can't. So, I so can't that movie out. and Kubo and the Two Strings. I weeped at the mm. end of that in the theater the first time I saw it. That's a beautiful film. Uh, weeped or wept? Wept. Is weeped a word? I'm not sure. I don't, well, I don't know. I think wept is more appropriate, but we're just trying to hold it bay. We're trying to hold the door here. Um, but I, I, I shit you not like from the, from Nell's entry into episode 10 until Mm-mm. the end, Mm-mm. dude, I was upstairs by myself with my headphones towards the end of it. My wife came up from watching her show downstairs and she says, was that you crying? <laughs> She heard me downstairs. Yeah. And oh, I yeah. was even trying to be discreet. Oh, man. It was a mess. I was a friggin' mess. Oh. Um, so let's just, let's just, all right, let's do some cursory stuff. We've already referenced how uh, Flanagan likes to cross-pollinate his media with other uh, of his own. Um, I don't know this to be true, but I sent you this uh, screenshot early in the episode 10 which episode 10 is the final sort of culmination of all the things. The family has now all returned to Hill House. Um, but you see these vignettes of each of the primary siblings and, and what the house is showing them hallucination-wise. Right. Hallucination right. Well, one of them. So Luke is having a, a hallucination. He's in a hotel room with Joey, his um, you know affectionate friend, if you will, from rehab. And in the background, there's this uh, hung piece of art, like, you know, just generically speaking, as most hotels have. But this one is particularly of a blue butterfly, which very much felt like a Before I Wake reference. Oh, it had um, to be. I mean, I can't imagine with a layer in there the fact that it's a hallucination, too, which even oh, adds to the right. probably validity of that. Um, the, but, yeah, the I can't imagine with a filmmaker as deliberate as Mike Flanagan is that that would be just coincidental it it just it, it wouldn't be with as much care and attention as he's given with the production elsewhere that is right. that i would almost imagine that has to be a before i wake reference and we cannot let this episode go finished go finished go unfinished <laughs> we can't let this episode uh, conclude. uh conclude without giving a shout out to my boy reed my boy Stash goatee chin strappy McGee shows up again. He's back. <laughs> and he's got that that sharp as nails facial hair going on. What in the world? <laughs> so chin, he, chin strappy McGee. He's oh back. Oh my gosh, that's true. He's back. People are gonna be like, are we Nathan okay? No. <laughs> we are not okay. We're not. We're, we're definitively not, not okay. We are not coping like, with the end of this show. 
I am like protecting my heart here because it's about to burst. Um, well, I'll I'll join go, you. In, I'll join you in the um, Nell's Nell's presence in episode ten is so so important to the emotional heartbeat of the show um, because you have there there really is no definitive bad guy or villain in the piece if there is to be a villain you could say it is the house itself personified perhaps by the ghost of poppy who Mm -hmm. is you know the one that when she emerges which she emerges somewhat late in the series but when she emerges is the only one that's kind of predatory towards the individuals that come into the house you know she right. she taps them on the forehead and then they go into this very uh pervasive sort of oppressive sense of their self and their life and previous events and all of that kind of stuff which we'll get to in a second but what is i think a brilliant turn about episode 10 is that episode 10 basically all of the family have converged at the house so first of all entering it was Luke trying to burn the place down unsuccessfully. Then you get Hugh and Stephen who have arrived and they are kind of trying to rescue Luke unsuccessfully. Theo and Shirley come in and they also get claimed. And it's feeling very much like they're just going to be consumed by this this house, that the unfinished meal that Hugh referenced in the Witness Marks episode is actually going to come to completion, that the house is going to claim them all. But here at the house, previously claimed by the house, is the spirit of Nell. And I had forgotten, because I obviously the first time through, you don't quite know where everything's going to resolve. But knowing, going into this episode, knowing that her big speech was coming, and seeing her pop in and rescue all of the siblings, mm-hmm. I, I, I already started. Like, I, because yeah. b- beforehand, I didn't know, oh, she's going to deliver this heart-rending, inspiring, emotional, powerful speech. I just see her doing stuff, right? Right. But right. in this time around, seeing specifically like her reach in and touch her brothers and sisters to bring them back from the brink uh-huh. of the house's control, I was like, stop. Stop. This is I I like I just can't with all of this. It is completely and totally it it is emotional on the kind of level that I so rarely experience with pieces because, you know, and and a few shows have done it in the past. I think Lost definitely gave me this sensibility from time to time. There have been where I talked earlier about the whoa and uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> about how you know that it it elicited a very extreme response in me but the type of emotional reaction that i have to the conclusion of hill house is somewhat rare i get excited yeah. about certain pieces i i get thrilled with certain stories but this was i i'm this is going to sound very dramatic but you know we're a podcast about exploring faith and fear this was deep calling to deep like some of the mm. things that were being yeah, said were echoing in the in the depths of my spirit in a way that I wasn't totally prepared for watching the show and in a way that I'm still kind of trying to wrestle down um, in why so much of it affects me the way it does. It's it's interesting, and yes, put a slight pin there, not because we'll leave it completely, but to, to pivot a different way and circle back around. Like, 
it's funny the first time I watched this and you're just you are an astute viewer and probably were on its wavelength better than I was the first time through but the first time through I had an ever so slight pang this is a strong word just know I've completely changed my tune slight pang of disappointment at the finale of the series I remember that yeah because just I don't know the way I was consuming it and watching it uh, the way it sort of presents a kind of confrontational type of dynamic, you know, yeah. that that's building towards this notion of a more traditional kind of quote unquote, as you said, bad guy versus our heroes kind of thing. Right. And utterly subverts that. I kind of, the first time through, didn't really know what to do with it and, and left that series watch a bit, a bit cool, mm-hmm. you know, towards it. Um, but knowing how it resolves, I was much more prepared for what it actually was after. And thus like you was just friggin' just bold over. Oh, yeah. It was a mess. Um, one, one random, um, because we, we, we will most definitively return to Nell and, and proceed from there. But I caught what might be, and again, with Flanagan's intentionality and knowing his love of this other piece of material, I think it probably is a, a, a deep, deep cut Stephen King reference. Um, oh, when Liv and Luke are in the white room, uh huh. Liv is articulating a vision, okay, and she talks about a house adorned with a forest of red roses. Oh, do you, do you what, think what? Do you think that's what, that's Dark Tower stuff? Uh, I think it absolutely is a reference. It, to the Dark I mean, Tower. it would make yeah, it would make sense. It would certainly make sense, particularly given Flanagan's King affection. That would that right. Would also well, and me. I didn't know this until recently. It Dark Tower majorly. I saw an image of him at like some sort of press event, and he had a Dark Tower T-shirt on. Oh wow! Okay. Um, so yeah, that has to be what that for is. For any of you who don't know, uh, a a recurring image in the Dark Tower series is a red rose, particularly, but the Dark Tower of the title rests in this field of red roses so when she said that i was like oh that seems like a king reference that's got to be um dispensing with some of the ancillary characters but recognizing them before we get to our main players man what a brilliant storytelling choice to hold the abigail card so long Mm -hmm. like yeah like oh yeah that connection when it finally locks into place is brutal oh it's devastating devastating when they find her Oh. Well, just not even that when they find her, but when you realize who she is. Yes, like it's one right, it's right. It's one thing for her to not be a ghost, okay? Right, like right. Th- like that's a big thing. It's another thing for then live to inadvertently or advertently kill this child who's yes. like where the hell is this child from? Right. The the whammy though is oh my gosh. Also hiding in plain sight is that the Dudleys actually do have another child who has been ever so slightly alluded to. Right. Is right right here. And we just killed her. And oh my God. Yes. Like that is, uh, that's to me just kind of next level kind of plotting to, to, it really is. And I wrote a note here where I said, like, the, the connection of the Dudleys and why in the beginning, you know, uh, he's, young Hugh is saying, no, we're going to, Leave the house here, and the Dudleys stay on, but nope, nobody else can go near it. And it, it's such an odd choice. It's like, well, wait, why are why are the Dudleys staying on? And 
that is such a satisfying resolution and conclusion to mm-hmm. why that would be because it makes perfect sense to me. Like, like the, the psychology of these people, like they do not want to be separated from their child, but they have no other, like if he burns the house to the ground, they have no outlet for that anymore. Right. And so they want to just stay here and keep tending the house so that they can still be with her. And it's, oh yeah, it's, it's a very successful, I think, a very successful payoff to threads that you didn't even think were primary storylines. Right. I know, in the thing. I know, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's great. It's really because great. if you because knowing the series, if you go back and pay attention to the Dudley's dialogue through it, she's right there. No, oh, absolutely, yeah. Like yep. if you know they have another daughter, you hear it in every sort of story they tell. Yes, absolutely, um, absolutely. But no, that was brilliant. Um, I do want the. the is it worth? commenting on a few scares or are you just like sure go right ahead yeah um i don't have any so why don't you go ahead and and share yours and then i have a (laughs) i have one little i have one little list of things you you share a list of scares and i'll share a list it's not scares but i'll share a list of different things i think the tall man in steven's face is pretty daggone freaky that is awful and dude i love hugh in that moment hugh sitting there like look at me look at me like oh it's great the whole thing is just absolutely mesmerizing it's great that's probably the most i I don't um i've read a lot of flanagan interviews recently like he is very intentional he hates jump scares like he actively he actively talks about you know we've made a whole industry out of just startling sure which is not the same as scaring you yes which is notable because you know if you watch hill house I mean, the most profound jump scare is Nell in the car, but there aren't that many. There aren't if, a lot of if, them. Yeah. If really any, you know, yeah. other than that, at least that profound. Well, and like Nell in the car, the ones that we do have are done in ways that are somewhat subversive. They're not in the traditional, hey, we're going to, you know, hold steady right. and creep you out and then jump. You know, it's like it, it's done in a subversive way. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. That's totally fine. I do think the pregnant Lee sequence is pretty daggone creepy. Oh my like gosh, that's that's his, so his devastating. Yes, and when when she starts getting oppressive with her language, and then oh she, the God. the tendrils yeah. of the shadow start like creeping over her countenance. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. My very last one is just you know dead Shirley clawing her face off. It's pretty uh, awful. Yes. Oh my gosh, that is, and that's one of the more that's one of the more just upsetting visuals because. You see it start to happen, and then the camera lingers there for a minute as she just sort of claws away at her at yeah. her face. Oh yeah. man, it's yeah, it's awful. My list is not of scares, but I'm made for this one. I mean, we've got the in previous episodes we've had the nope list, just nope, nope, uh-huh. nope, nope, nope. Uh, in Gerald's game, we had the that ain't right list. You know, that ain't right. That ain't right. Yeah. This one is not scary or probably funny, but I made a dear God list. Like, like, just it okay. was just like dear God, and and it has like four things on it, and they're all like weep inducing. So I wrote, I wrote down, I just wrote down, dear God, Nell's monologue, like, mm-hmm. oh, mm-hmm. and then I wrote down, dear God, the Dudleys finding Abigail, and mm. and like, oh, uh, and then I wrote down. Dear God, when the Dudleys die at old age in the house and they're all reunited, she's holding her little baby who never got to cry. And then, and then I wrote down, "I was so lucky to be your dad." And I wrote down, "Dear oh God," like God. I mean, like it was just like, yeah, all of these things were like, oh my dear Lord, I just do not know how I can emotionally stand up under the because and and like one of the things that I think is so successful about the show is 
I really feel like with episode 10, there are some legitimate frights in it. We've addressed some of them. But it begins to pivot most specifically in, like, I was commenting to you off mic, not much happens in episode 10. Like, plot-wise, like, not much happens. It's one of the longest episodes of the show. It's like an hour and 11 minutes. And not much takes place plot-wise. It's all like the characters have converged, the characters remember scenes from their life that is filtered through the lens of the house's oppressive sort of consumptive filter. But in terms of the actual plot of it, it's just really a lot of conversations between characters and you get payoffs and resolutions and secrets revealed to the inner turmoils Mm-hmm. and the outer failings of so many of these characters that we've come to follow for a long time. And that's that's really what the heart of episode 10 is. And for a show like this, I do think a lesser show, or maybe just a differently framed show, would try to make episode 10 just bombastic and crazy right. and make right. it full of these action set pieces. Instead, what we get is a sequence of exceptionally well-written, in my opinion, conversations but the conversations carry so much gravity and emotional weight that it is deeply affecting and and very ultimately for me and I think for you too ultimately very very moving and to your point about first time viewers might feel a little put off by that in yeah, the fact yeah. that it's like you know what this is just I was waiting for everybody to get to this house and was waiting for everything to go crazy and instead what we get are a bunch of reflective, sometimes philosophical, always very confessional conversations that take place. And right. it's just, I found that immensely more powerful than what Hill House could have done and pivot into something more action-oriented or more bombastic. Um, right. Instead, I think it's got much more staying power. I want to watch the whole—I finished episode I 10. I, I want to watch the whole thing over again. I've been pitching it to my wife— for like every single time we tag in on this, I'm like, honey, I want you to watch this show with me. And oh, so she hasn't we, watched it. No, she hasn't seen it yet. Because oh. well, because at first I was worried it might be a little too scary for her. Sure, I don't sure. know, Nathan. Maybe it still will be. But like the emotional resonances was were so strong this time watching it through that I've been like, no, I really want you to to give the show a chance to see if you to see if you know how you respond to it and everything like that. So I get an excuse to watch it all over again. <laughs> When that happens, because it's yeah. so affecting. It's very yeah. affecting. Um, I did wonder, like, I've got just a list of lines, and I don't know how sure. you want to tackle your thematics if it's by lines. But so I, I could either throw some Most lines. Most of mine just... are lines. <laughs> no, no, no. That's totally fine. Yeah. That's totally fine. Yeah. I've got a real kind of robust uh, some thematics to talk about. But um, well, let's do this. I, instead of I, I've got some thematic ideas I want to follow and pursue, but I do feel so deeply about some of the writing in this episode that I'll just throw some of these out. And if you have um, thoughts and or thematic exposition you want to explore, feel free. I do think uh, uh, a just sort of beautiful line is forgiveness is warm, like a tear on a cheek. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that maybe one of the greatest... Lines in one of the greatest scenes of restoration in any piece of media or literature is when the siblings are apologizing to Nell and she says, I loved you completely. Yeah. Yeah. And you loved me the same. And that's all the rest is confetti. Holy 
crap, man. Yeah. Well, and because, and, and I, I don't want to derail no, uh, where what? you're going with this, but to, to set I'm up. I'm not going that, anywhere. I'm just calling out lines. Why, why that, <laughs> why that line is so powerful is because she contextualizes it earlier by saying, she said, I used to view time and moments as like linear, yes. like a line, yeah. a stack of dominoes, one after another. But then she describes in a very beautiful and poetic way, moments falling like rain around yeah. her, like moments like rain. And she says, like rain, she mentions one other thing, and then she says, like confetti. It's just these moments are just surrounding us. They're everywhere. Right. And so when she says that line you just quoted about loving them completely and you loved me the same, uh, she's basically one of the things I get from it, because it's, a, it's a, a poetic line, which means it's open for different interpretations. But one of the things I glean from it is basically like there was sincere and genuine love between mm-hmm. us, we are more, and our relationship is more than the sum of all of the different speckled moments. Because, oh my dear Lord, because she uh, Shirley says to her, or I, f- I forget if now in the moment if it's Shirley or Theo, but she says, um, I'm sorry that my last words to you were angry ones, or that our last mm-hmm. words were angry ones. And then Nell just right there said, they weren't our last. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, mm-hmm. they weren't our last. Yeah. And then yeah. she says in that whole stream, and then she says, there, there is no without. There is no without. And she just talks about how this absence that is so pervasive when you feel like you've lost someone is really an illusion. What I wrote down, and this is, we don't have to yeah. follow this theme because I think there's a, a multitude of things that we could, what we to, what we typically do on the show, as you know, listeners are well aware, is we typically sort of camp out on an idea and just sort of flesh it all out. I would right. not be dissatisfied if we if we spent merely a few moments on so many of the vast things that this show sure. is is gleaming out. I'm not saying we have to do that, but that's just you know a suggestion. One of the things that. I wrote down when she said there is no without, you know, they weren't our last. I go back to something that William Peter Blatty, the writer of The Exorcist, had written in his sort of autobiographical memoir after his son had died. Um, And in his dedication, he had written, and this is a quote I'll probably always carry with me. He had written, he said, this book is dedicated to anyone who has ever lost someone to the liar and the fraud called death. And it was basically when I was hearing Nell's words, it was echoing with me again, like, oh yeah, death is a liar and he's a cheat and he's a fraud. You know, like the, there's these, there's these ways in which we can feel the absence of something so pervasively that we can be saturated by guilt and loss. And I should have done this. I should have done that. Uh, oh, it was Theo who said about the angry words because Shirley says, I'm sorry I never answered the call. And she says, but right. you did so many, right. so many times. You know, again, right. it's this, the relationship is more than the sum of these confetti moments popping up everywhere. It's just, it's beautiful. It's powerful. Hmm. Like, yeah, Nell's, Nell's entire, the latter part of her entire scene is just, I mean, it was, that was a mess. Um yeah. And I feel like we should pivot a little bit to Liv and Hugh. Sure, sure. I read this bit to my wife, um, 
it's really interesting and kudos to you kudos to me that the tall man was in the wall after all <laughs> kudos to you for identifying pretty explicitly hugh's statement of previous lives what she is oh right, right, um, right, right because it was interesting watching this episode and be like oh no it's that's that's very direct now like, like yes the previous live of the series or at least his live was was as you described or as he described a coping mechanism and it is interesting purely ignore the thematics of it it is kind of cool and interesting the personality that these ghosts that haunt the walls of hill house still have like right she right. has she has experienced in this house without them you know what i mean like, like oh yeah oh yeah. time has passed for her time grows sure sure not necessarily in a positive way but i want to come back to this a little later but uh I, I'm, I'm kind of melding some dialogue here uh, across a few scenes but live to hugh ghost live actual ghost live to adult hugh says what were you doing and he says i was holding the door mm -hmm. um, and i do want to come back to that eventually but she challenges him a few scenes later about uh, live at this point has talked about waking them up. You know, this is her yeah. language for actual, for what is actually killing them, but about ultimately I want to wake them up so they don't suffer. And, and Hugh's line, and this is what I read to my wife and kind of got all teary about then. And, and he says, but they did suffer. They all do. Even if broken or addicted or joyless, or yes, even if they die, we have to watch it all because we're parents. That's the deal we make. Mm. We bear witness. Mm. Oh my God, man. Like, yeah, it is. It's is pretty amazing. The, the thematic threads, the, the formidable threads that are woven through this whole series, you know, mm -hmm. from a parenting standpoint, from a marital standpoint, from a grief and loss standpoint, it's right. very powerful. Well, and so he he talks about that bear witness, and part of the burden, you and I are both parents, you of, of three children, me of one, and part of the burden you carry is having to come to terms with the fact that you you will not protect them from everything. You cannot keep them completely and totally safe from emotional distress you can't keep them safe from bad choices you can instruct you can guide you can have all kinds you can create an environment and an atmosphere in which they will hopefully thrive but you simply yeah for a lot of it you simply have to bear witness and you simply have to just i don't know i had an experience just recently with my son because my son is at an age now. It's really adorable, but he's developed his first authentic little crush, as it were, uh, on one of his classmates. And, you know, he's in first grade, so it's it's super cute and adorable because he's just sort of fascinated by this this girl that's in his class. And watching him, just recently I had a moment where I picked him up from school and this other girl was there and it was it was so funny because he was so constantly torn with like wanting to be nearby but also like wanting to say something to her and not wanting to say something to her because he didn't want to put himself out there and i remember i was sitting there watching the whole thing and i so badly wanted to like mediate i so badly wanted to make a connection like oh i could go over and i could 
you know, introduce myself to the parents, introduce him and, you know, just sort of fabricate a thing. But it was really, it was really difficult. I was like, no, I got to, I can coach him or I can guide him on like, hey, go over, say hi, say this, ask this question, do this. But in a lot of ways, I have to just sort of let him be. And that's part of the pain of navigating parenthood is just knowing like there are limits to your influence and even more limits and restraints on your control over what they are going to experience and how they are going to process what they experience. And, mm-hmm. and that bearing witness is, uh, is really painful so, staying with Liv and Hugh for a moment. So Liv wants to quote unquote, wake them up by letting them stay in the red room and let the red room claim them. Right. He understandably is fighting for their continued survival. So he is trying to compel her to open the room and let them out. And this is a line that I wrote down where she's trying to compel him and say, listen, this, this is, uh, this has got to happen. And she says, they're safe now. Nothing bad will ever touch them again. And he says back to her, nothing good will either. Mm, yeah, and yeah. and what I wrote down, it's not a theme we have to explore terribly, terribly far. Um, but I what what I wrote down is, and we talked last week extendedly about isolation. This is going to be the 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 phrasing I'm about to use right here might be a bit uh, jarring at first, but I'll unpack it very briefly. Um, I wrote down the safety of hell, and mm, wow, and and basically this notion of sometimes you will allow yourself to be captured by a thing, uh, be it addiction, be it um, an abusive relationship or, or a codependent relationship or something. You'll allow yourself to be sort of captured by it. And we tell ourselves that these, that these places are keeping us safe because, uh, and, and those are kind of extreme examples, but there are ways in which we can trap ourselves in something so that no bad thing will ever touch us. And the problem is, as Hugh points out, but then the good doesn't come in either. Right, C.S. Right. Lewis had unpacked in a quote that I don't have, in a, in a, uh, I'm going to have to paraphrase it, um, but he had unpacked at one point that basically the only way or the only place you are safe from the vulnerabilities and the dangers of love is hell. That's the only, like to, to basically shield yourself and cut yourself off from right. ever putting yourself out there, from ever ri- risking it. And there's so much wisdom in what Hugh's saying because he's not only just talking about having to bear witness to the, to the children. It, it is that whole letting go of you've just got to let life be life. Like you've got to let them break out into because what was, we talked about it last week when we mentioned uh, episode nine, Screaming Mimi's, and and she wants she's scared about what's going on outside in that world but that is exactly where she's got to let them go she's got to let them venture out into that we as parents are naturally inclined to want to be protective we don't want because of the affection we have for them we don't want any ill bad thing to come to them but in doing so we so frequently are probably cutting off really great joyful and wonderful experiences as well because we're not we're not empowering and emboldening them to go out and 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 seek those victories and seek those joys it's just the play it safe model and that's it's very convicting uh for a parent like me who would really love like to keep everything i'm not a helicopter dad but i'd really love to keep my son 
safe and and uh, completely sheltered from any sort of disappointment or harm. And it's not only just that that's not practical, but I'm actually doing him a disservice if I get too much in that vein because, again, as Hugh said, no good thing will break in either. And that's very convicting to me. No, that's that's it's great. And I want to return to some of those thoughts in just a second. One, one I do think that something that should have clued me in to how much I would ultimately appreciate this series is seated in the conversation between adult Stephen and Hugh in the car while they're searching for Luke uh, when Hugh is describing the relationship he and Liv had that ultimately culminates with a line we referenced during that episode of, uh, we weren't perfect, but we were kind. Yeah. And, you know, you already referenced part of this line, but I think, Wanna like as a mission statement, what a beautiful uh encapsulation and and indicator of Flanagan's heartbeat as a storyteller when Hugh and damn what a fantastic bit of editing as well. I forgot about this part, but when Hugh is bidding farewell to Stephen. Mm. Mm-hmm. And he turns around and he says, Take care of each other. And be kind to each other. If nothing else, be kind. I was so lucky to be your dad. Yeah. And the moment, Reed, where Tim Hutton, the editing cuts, and then it's Henry Thomas. Yeah. And he's oh man, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Such a powerful moment. Oh, it really is. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, But but I guess the point I'm trying to make is like. This idea of kindness. I used to lament this a lot in story, and I still do on a certain level. I just, it, so it makes me notice it even more when stories don't go this route. That so much, that there's so many stories we tell via TV or movie or whatever about, about becoming and staying broken in relationship mm. um, that I'm always really fascinated by and, and, and tune in to stories of restoration. Yeah, um, and I feel like this, even though you know Liv exits the corporeal scene of this story from the go, and Hugh and Nell don't more don't really survive the proceedings of the series. Its heart is ultimately restoration. Yeah, um, you know how do we reach across our pain right. to find the confetti? And I just think that's an amazingly beautiful idea last night while i was sort of prepping for our conversation i really got a wild hair on some thoughts but i don't know if you if you're sitting on something you want to sort of further extrapolate or you can i have uh if if it if there's not an easy opportunity to come up uh for it to come up again there's one other specific thing that I yeah, get to, but, go I, for but it. I, well i was going to suggest that i that i'd hear hear you out and hear oh, what oh, you okay, because okay. i I'd, I'd been talking for a while um, there's so many little tiny things, uh, in, in the series. I don't know if you know this, but the name Eleanor, which is Nell's full name means bright shining one, mm. um, which is amazing. Um, I love that the mother's name is Liv. Oh, right. Right. You yes. Know? I mean, yes. It's, it's kind of right there. Um, so where I want to kind of go with this and it'll, 
probably exhaust me, and then you can kind of run wherever you want. This phrase, hold the door, yeah, really captivated me. Mm. You know, Mrs. Dudley rather emphatically states it to live in Screaming Mimi's. Yeah. In questioning, uh, Hugh responds to live of what were you, what have you been doing? He's saying, I held, I hold the door. I've been holding right. the door. Right. And so I really got fascinated and, and I, you know, kind of posed the question, what does it mean to hold the door? Mm. So I'm going to try to tie a few strands together and trust your ability as you often are to help pull out where there's lack of clarity here. But I just, I just started running with some of the imagery and metaphor of the piece and this hold the door thing. And then, Horace says to Abigail, or says of Abigail, we kept her out of the world to keep her safe. Mm. And here's, here's, I'm just going to vomit on you, okay? Okay. Um, the house slash the red room is the world. Nowhere is safe, quote unquote. Horace and Mrs. Dudley thought they could keep Abigail safe by keeping her out of the world. Mm. And still the world found a way in. As a brief kind of aside here, like I can't tell you how profoundly the the strings of my deepest fears get struck by Liv's conversation with Mrs. Dudley mm. about yeah. yeah. I thought I could keep them safe in right. these walls. Right. And the monster that eats like like you can you can put me on the edge of a cliff and it won't do the emotional terror that this idea does. Sure, sure. Um, So, you know, something to think about is this family, the Cranes, will never, never not be influenced by that house. Right. So we're going with the idea of the Red Room of the house is the world. The house is still standing. Hugh did not appease the house. By staying, he just joined Liv. Mm-hmm. The siblings, think about this, Reed. The siblings are still out there, an unfinished meal for the house. Yes, yeah. Neither Hugh nor Mrs. Dudley never say, hold the door open or hold the door closed. Just hold they it. They just mm-hmm. say, hold the door. And that fascinates me from a script standpoint. And Reed, I, I, in assessing this, I think we are in the red room always. Mm, mm. And it can look like whatever we want it to. A tree house, a reading room, a house in the suburbs, a new car, a better job, a higher income, a new lover, a different spouse. All the while it is eating and eating mindlessly. Mm. So how do we, in Dudley's words, stand firm against that room we hold the door and it's important here because i think it is we we are the key and i think reed we hold the door open Mm. the red room is impenetrable but we are the keys Liv was too far gone she was too consumed by the time she took luke and nell and abigail up there right but it shouldn't be lost on us Nothing can hold the door, can open it, but we together. Those who walk there walk together. Yeah, right, right. And 
Most of all, I'm going to tie this back to the stupid cat funeral. Most of all, read we are all stories in the end. Mm. I had this, I don't know that I've even shared this story with you before. I have this distinct memory watching Friday Night Lights, a show I adore years ago. And I remember, I know you probably share this these feelings. I remember after watching a particular episode of that one time that I had this really sharp pang of I want to do that. Hmm. And for me, it was, quote unquote, like be on a show, be in a show, right, be part right. of this. And and I I... I chose to interrogate that feeling. You know, why is this impulse so strong? Well, you know, to me, um, Jason Kadams and and his creators, fellow creators on there, and this cast were telling a really great story. Those actors, um, they were using their gifts to tell a really great story. And in my understanding at that point in my life, I wanted to be a part of telling a story like that. And these thoughts happened kind of simultaneously. This idea that I wanted to tell a great story came into conflict with what I actually think is a higher ideal. Um, I might call it a more holy notion of wanting to live a better story. Mm. I want my life to be a story of beauty and truth breaking in, in how I treat my wife and how I parent and how I interact with and engage those around me. It is like, it's like the burden to tell a story via objective media. And what I mean by that is film, TV, that kind of thing. Abdicated me. I abdicated actually being a living, breathing storyteller by my very life and breath. Mm -hmm. That the story we tell with our lives is that we hold the door. We hold the door open so that love can flow into the red room that we aren't just party to a mindless digestion, Mm. but that we can act not perfectly, but with kindness. Above all else, being kind, that that kindness is the manifestation of love necessary to break the appetite of the world. Yeah. So that at the end, my friend, we can say we loved those in our orbit completely so that in so doing, they could love us the same mm. and that the rest is confetti. Mm-hmm. I know I just vomited all over you, but... No, you no. Is, well, I, I mean, didn't... So I what? didn't tell you... I didn't tell you beforehand what, you know, I, I didn't... Even before you began to so beautifully and eloquently articulate those thoughts, I didn't tell you what my one theme was that I wanted to make <laughs> sure that I squeezed uh, yeah. in, okay? So I'm going to... Share. Thank you, by the way, for letting me run off at the moment. Oh, oh well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do my very best to yes and you here. So I, I have three quotes that I, that I badly wanted to just sort of speak out from the show. They're quotes from the show and then talk about something that's been on my heart recently. And I'm going to go back to a couple of things that you said in your sure. yeah. unpacking. So the three number one quote is what Hugh says to Steve. He says... Noth- uh, he says, some things can't be told. You live them or you don't, but they mm. can't be told. Yeah. yeah. That's point number one. Some things can't be told. Point number two is one of the last things that Steven says in his over in his overdub, his voiceover of the finale of the show. Um, there's this been this constant through line of fear, and they they 
talk a lot about fear, but in the end, he says love is the same. Love um, is the relinquishment of logic. Mm-hmm. He says you can either yield to it or fight it, but you cannot meet it halfway, um, mm-hmm. which I think is powerful and beautiful. But then this was the big thing that I wanted to bring up, and it stood out so much to me because Stephen is the first sibling that we encounter in any sort of extended context, and he's the last. He gets the last word, literally, sure, of sure. the of the film, of the series. And he says in the opening of this episode, he is talking to Lee. We know as the episode progresses that it's actually a projection that the house is putting on there, but he's having this interaction with his wife and Mm -hmm. she says to him something and it bowled me over she says to steve talking about him contextualizing certain things it's not real until you write it that's what she says to him it's not Mm -hmm. real until you write it and here's what i wrote down i wrote down our desperate longing for context our insatiable need for a story That's what I wrote Mm. down. Mm. And here's where these threads all come together and and what what you had just expressed is is sort of rising up in me. I was having a conversation just last night with a friend who had come over to spend some time with me and my wife. And we were talking about how desperately people... We we are all stories. That's a quote you referenced earlier. We are all stories. But as Hugh wisely observes, and I think this is very true... Some things can't be told. Sure. You can either live them or you don't, but some things can't be told. Yet part of what Stephen struggles with is that, that, as his wife points out to him, to you it's not real until you write it. To you it's not real until you can wrap words around it. And one of the things that I was conversing with this, this friend of ours and my wife and my wife and I and this friend were all sort of having this conversation about Sometimes people will, in the present day world, we will become so desperate for a story that we will either embellish details or completely fabricate details to create a story for ourselves. We create struggles for ourselves. We create victories for ourselves. We will embellish certain factoids about the obstacles in our way or in our hopes or in our dreams. And what you were just unpacking about the Red Room Mm -hmm. and about how like this is this is a place uh, uh listeners follow us on this metaphor there's a place a pocket in your spirit that will basically simulate whatever it is that you are after or want to be whatever story you want to be and you can go ahead and and enter into that and you can wrap yourself up in it and you can let it completely consume you and uh what i mean by that is there are people living under the shadow of expectations and ambitions that are that are not even theirs that are not even something that they truly want to pursue or who they truly want to be that's just the narrative that's the narrative that they have found themselves caught up in and they so badly want to be part of the narrative that they will sometimes sacrifice pieces of themselves or certain uh moral inclinations that they would otherwise say like well I don't I don't really know about that other side of things but They'll let all of that go because right now they are in the proverbial red room with this simulation of this This is my story. This right. is the narrative of my story. I, I am this thing. I do these other things as a result, and this is the ultimate culmination of my story. We get so desperate 
for a story. And one of the things that Steve is struggling with is, uh, this is what I mean by the longing for context. One of the things that he's struggling with is his dad never gave him a story. His, he never heard it from his dad. And so because he never heard it from his dad, he feels compelled to write it down. That's what that's what part of his story has been through this entire series is he wrote the book about this that has been the big drama because it was a cash cow. It was a huge success, but then they called it blood money because they didn't understand what had happened to their mom. And there was all this emotional and irrationality sort of tied into the whole thing. But And because he faked it. But, and because yeah, and because he he fabricated and embellished a large part of it, and so that part of it in the context of what I took away from this, and and again, uh, I, perhaps this is the big conversation that we'll have. Maybe there'll be others. I don't know, but it's really connecting for me this idea of there is a counterfeit story that the red room, the proverbial red room, is providing for you. Hey, come be part of this narrative. Come be part of of this story. But if we have the courage and the wisdom to say, well, no, I'm I'm actually going to to stand and hold the door open mm-hmm. and and be willing to live something that you really can't quite encapsulate into words. There's a beautiful passage of scripture um, that I did not pull up and maybe I will before this conversation is over, but it it talks about when we don't know what to say um, the the Holy Spirit uh, groans within us with words that can't w- w- in ways that can't be uttered. Basically, there are groanings in our spirit that that language is insufficient for. And I think about that sometimes in the context of story. We don't find value in the perpetual normalcy of kindness. We don't right. we don't find value in that. Um, I'm 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 remiss. I'm I'm forgetting what the conversation was there was a conversation that we were having i believe about uh the inherent just sort of value of goodness mm-hmm. um and uh, and there was a character gosh i really wish i could remember what this conversation was there was a character who uh did not view oh no it wasn't a conversation you and i were having it was a conversation <laughs> this is gonna sound self-aggrandizing i apologize um i mentioned it in the commentary that i did on it's a wonderful life um, because I talked about the, ca- <laughs> I know that sounds so self-aggrandizing when I say it that way. I don't um, know if I don't know what I think of the fact that you thought it was me and you, and it really was just you and you. <laughs> no, I know, right? That's the, <laughs> I know that's uh, context. Um, but so one of the things I had mentioned is in "It's a Wonderful Life," the character of George Bailey sees a lot of value in good people, but he does not view goodness as important. That's the point that I'm making. He does not view basic human goodness as important. And tying that back into Hill House is the, I think we have a real struggle with if somebody just lives their life and treats everybody in their nexus with kindness and compassion and just has some basic human dignity and some human decency in most, if not all, of their casual day-to-day interactions, but they didn't invent some big thing. They don't have a, a sketch on, like, now this or something like that. They don't, they don't have, like, a big thing to herald. Sure. They don't—somebody would say, well, they don't have a, a story. How do, how do we write a story about that? You know, a right. story a story has to have conflict. A story has to have obstacles. I have to have a struggle. I have to have this, this big thing right, right, ahead right. of us. But it's really affecting me right now that— how many people must look at the paths ahead of them and say, you know what, I'm, 
yeah, I'm living my life day to day. Uh, I'm showing kindness to people. I'm showing compassion to people where I can. But I really want a story. I really want right. to go to this place where there's this big lifelong struggle. I really want to go to this place where there's this big obstacle. And I want to be part of that bigger, grander, better story. And now it's striking me that that might just be the the enticement of the Red Room. That maybe yeah. there is this this falsity that is saying, "Hey, come come be part of this. Come you know come be a, a a part of this bigger thing." In fact, even in Christian circles, we will frame it and oh, forgive me because I'm starting to feel myself getting riled up. So we will frame it sometimes as say like, "Hey, uh, God has a big plan for you. God has a big destiny for you. Come be part of the." Of, of God's big story. And some of that language I appreciate and I understand kind of what some of, some of that is, is after and what it's going for, but you know, they'll, they'll invite you to like, oh, be important, be a big deal, do something magnificent, do something great. And what's so funny to me about that is that then that devalues the simple goodness of just showing up every day to your family or to your friends or to, to whoever it is in your little nexus of just simply showing up and being there and being kind and being uh, generous and being caring and, and everything that you can do to just sort of foster and cultivate that goodness in your heart, that is not a sufficient story for many people. Many right. people are like, well, that's, that's not enough. And they're not realizing this. like, no, what you're being drawn into is you're being drawn into something that's going to eat you alive. Right. It's going to consume you constantly chasing this other story when the simple act of holding the door open, he talks about bearing witness. Hugh talks about bearing witness to his children, and he talks about, he's like, yeah, the, uh, they suffered a lot of things. He said, but then I got to see our daughter dance at, at her wedding. Right, you know, right. And, and he talks about that that was a, a, a result, a product of this kind, caring relationship that they had shared together. You know, but we just as ourselves, I'll say this and then I'll just I'll, I'll, I'll breathe, is we have taken to devaluing the day to day normalcy of just simply being kind and compassionate. The simple act of holding a door. I see you coming. I see you going. I'm going to hold this door open so that there is there is a pathway so that there is something here. That simple act or the simple act of just holding steady so that this narrative, this false narrative, this fake ideology cannot close and consume you entirely. Sure. I'm just I'm just going to hold steady and hold the door open and that is such an unassuming notion. It's such an unassuming idea to just um, be courteous in these small everyday moments. And most of the people that you would try to like hail or herald them for like, hey, yeah, you are, you're really just a good person. You're really just a decent person. It may be the fact is that some, some of the best stories can't quite be told. They just have to be lived yeah. in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, well, and, and, yeah. and to your point, like there's so much to pick up, pick apart here and, and, and unpack, but like backpedaling a tiny bit, you, you mentioned Lee's comment to Steve about, you know, you had to write it down. Okay. Well, important context here. That's the house. Yes. Speaking. Absolutely. And, that's the house. And what speaking. Yes. did he write down? What he wrote down was falsehood. Right, what he exactly. wrote down was, was fakery. It was not until he himself saw and, mm -hmm. and lived it mm -hmm. that he could now appropriate and what happens to Steve and Lee at the end they are pregnant 
You know, he has clearly yeah, gone back right. and, and and reversed this process. But it's funny you 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 gave it um, a, a little bit of a consolation prize. God's big journey. I reject that, man. I reject it because mm. I think I'm so over the inflated promise of our Christianity's bigness. Mm. Because then we get disillusioned and disheartened and despondent over when Christ calls us to just share a cup of cold water. Right. Thinking, thinking yes. well, that's not that's not big enough. Like, why would I even do that? Like Exactly. Exactly. And, and and I think I understand it and I don't I don't dismiss it at its root per se. But so much so much of our faith talk our church talk is outside in it's postures and image and i don't even mean that cynically but it's image no it is it is yes it's adopt a practice it's do this thing and that thing it's not now an argument could be made that one might lead to the other i'm not dismissing that out of hand but so rarely is it inner transformation Right. And and I have to believe where I'm going with this is back to kindness. I have to believe like Jesus was a teacher. What does a teacher do? He teaches you so that you can ultimately be like him. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 Like here, th- there should be some nuance here. We've settled for following when embodying is the end. Mm-hmm. No, I understand what you mean. And embodying calls for kindness because kindness leads to repentance. Kindness opens the door. Kindness holds the door mm-hmm. for those who are thrashing unknowingly under the mindless and stupid eating of the red room holds yeah. the door so that air and life, vitality, kindness, goodness, love can, can wash through. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I think, I think, I don't know how we, and goodness, listener, if you have some practices, you know, hit us up. But I don't exactly know how we cultivate this on a daily basis, but it is a thing that is required. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like like it's we don't get to be an asshole mm. mm-hmm. and also embody Christ. We just don't. Um, right. We can call we can we can you know, speak truth to power and all that sort of stuff. But the, the, the intimate closeness of a faithful life lived well, I think is the practice of kindness, you know, because I I had an interesting conversation recently with, I do every, I don't know, six months or so. There's a, a client I did some camera work for a couple of years ago that will call me back, which is awesome. I don't have to like work for it they're just like hey you want to do this like sure yeah cool you'll pay me well one of the folks one of the like producers on that is this older guy who works with a client he and i have developed kind of a nice rapport and he was telling me he's um you know 39 he's like early 50s um he was telling me about the passing of one of his parents Hmm. and where he settled was this kind of inverse statement of all we are stories in the end. Well, he's telling me about this parent. It was either his or his wife's who had accumulated all this stuff. Um, big house, um, you know, kind of palatial, this or that house on the water. They passed away 
all of this property got snapped up by the county or whatever and turned into developments. And his point was, like, this is what this person chose to pour their life into was accumulation. Right. And he made this statement, read that has stayed with me, and it, it echoes of it are all in Hill House. And he said, all we are is memory. Mm. And his point was, like, how I interact with my kids, with my spouse, with my dear friend, is creating an impression, is is lodging a memory, an experience mm-hmm. of that person. So that, you know, I, I hope I live several to, to multiple more decades, but that when that time comes, that those I encountered will be able in the knowledge and the fact that all we are is memory, be able to say that person was kind mm. and there was a, there was a kindness, uh, in the end, be kind. I don't know. I, I just, I'm, I'm really passionate about, it's really just fortuitous that this refrain, the language refrain, the scripting refrain of Hill House is about kindness, but right, that is just something right. that is just a drum. I try to beat in my own heart, uh, and how I, uh, you know, I mean, Hugh says it, I'm not perfect, but we were kind, you know, it's yeah, like, right, right. Slow to anger, quick to forgive. Yeah. Forgiveness is like a warm tear on a cheek, you know? Um, yeah. anyway, I'm just, I could go on and on. Well, and uh, yeah, there's certainly, we, we certainly need to, to try to wind this down, but, uh, um, do we? I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I, I do mean, feel, I mean, I, I do feel like so much of what you're saying is, is so important and is so valuable. I do I do think kindness plays such a significant such a significant role but I think it, a lot of times we forget and get sucked into just the need for importance the, right the, yeah the, yeah totally the, the need to do something major to make an impact so that we will be remembered so that we will have a a legacy it's a it's a cutesy quote, but it's one of my favorites. The late great Rich Mullins had said at one point, "If my ambition is to leave a legacy, what I will likely leave is a legacy of ambition." And I know that that's a kind of a cutesy wow. quote, but it is it it is very affecting to me. And I think the important thing, as we kind of try to wrestle this and wind this down, I think the important thing to recall is that the attraction to importance is an illusion. It is. I hear people say in spiritual context so many times they'll say, you know, what is what is God calling you to or what is your what is your calling in life? And I have actively said to other people before I've said, listen, in my personal feelings and in my understanding of theology, the greatest calling that God ever put on anybody's life is the same call he put on everybody's. And that's to come home, (laughs) come Mm -hmm. home now, you know, but like. It, there, there's this notion that we have to remove that says like, oh, we need to do something big or valuable or important because as the scripture that you alluded to, that Christ has compelled us before that if we do so much as give a cup of cold water in his name, we will not lose the reward. And we keep being drawn to the need to do something big and valuable and important so that we will be remembered. And the the statement and the the sort of plea that keeps rattling around in my head is the one of the beaten, broken thief on the cross next to him who simply said, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And I think there is something to just acknowledging that 
it's not all about you, that some things can't, you know, that, that the story you live and the story that you get to be a part of is, is not one in which there needs to be some big overarching narrative. It's just simply a matter of, I am part of some, it, it, what we're basically talking about, you mentioned, you would say kindness, I would amen, I would say humility. And, and that we need to adopt this, hey, I am not the center of the universe. I am, you know, I, I have been considering that I've been sitting in the heart when really I've been sitting in the stomach and it's trying to eat me alive. Right. And I need to move out of that and and perhaps in that maturing and in that moving on can hold the door open for someone else to let the light in, to to let the the people that may be trapped in this illusory narrative to make their way out and and move on into something that yes has its pains and has its scares. Um, I think about uh, Theo who makes that understated but powerful decision to leave her gloves behind. Yeah, she leaves yeah, them yeah. in the in the, in the trash, you know, um, because now she's ready. She knows there's a a multitude of feelings that she may be overwhelmed by, but she leaves them there because that's that's better than the the nothing that she had experienced earlier. And 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 so there's there's so much that we could wrap up into but i think if i were to encapsulate something in a button i would say it is it's all of what we're talking about don't get drawn in to the fabricated narrative that the proverbial red room would draw you into but instead choose to hold open the door basic human decency basic human kindness the consistent pervasive persistent decision to be kind one to another and to let that be the story that you live even when that can't be told in some big sweeping narrative that has a beginning middle and an end it is just something you live that hey i am i am i am just i am here and i am participating in all of the things that are around me that matter to other people and and that ultimately matter to the lord uh, beyond just myself well, and, and as, as a coda there too, like this just came to me, what is important about this line where all stories in the end isn't, we're all in a story in the end. It's mm. you are a story and that story will have a particular flavor and takeaway yeah, and right, impact right. whether you are aware or want it to or not. Right. And, 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 and to that Friday night lights, you know, kind of story a minute ago, like that was so profound to me of like, why is this so significant and important? And it is, it, it feels good. I love doing that kind of stuff and I want to quote unquote tell stories and that sort of thing. But, but it was this real reflection moment of, you know, the red room. It, It was consuming me of like, Hey, to be important, to feel important, to feel good, to have accomplishment, right. to to uh, meet your ambitions, to you know whatever. It's chasing the wind, right? It is when it is. you know. I would love to see a church roll out a an ad campaign. Although even in saying this, it's it's uh, uh, an oxymoron that just says God is in the small. Like mm-hmm. it's, that's that's it. That's all. Yeah. That's the only place He's found. Right. Yes. Period. Like, yeah. you know, and, and it sounds easy to say, oh, love your, love your family well. Okay, well, how do I do that? Figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Like, and, and I'm telling you. Well, it's you, one choice at a time. Yes, it is. How do you like, do it? I, I work in a vocation, a read that most of my waking moments, it's, it's in the periphery, if not in the forefront. Like, 
It is yeah. very difficult to crowd that red room out to be right. able to hold the door open for myself to be mm-hmm. kind to myself. Let's not ignore that need. Of course, um, of course. To be kind to myself, to hold the door open for my children who need not a distracted father who's worried about right. sale, sales and income, but who is present and laughing and enjoying their company right. and, and, and life. Exactly. Um, anyway, I, yeah, we could. We yeah. could. Oh, man. Whee! Yay. Well, and it's all uh, there's, confetti. <laughs> there's so much still left to explore, but I do think. You know, we've said our piece. Uh, I feel like I've, you know, I've said mine, and I, I feel like you've left some profundity here on the on the proverbial airwaves uh, about what he'll. Or just one Was of the it many proverbial things. Proverbial profundity or profundity of a prover- I don't know. You you gave a profound proverb. Let's say that. Um, so, but yeah, there's a lot to Hill House. Um, so much more that we could explore. So much more that we could unpack. But I think we'll leave it there for this particular conversation. And uh, and as briefly as we can, head to the fog meter, if you will. I think this is gonna be. I, I have a prediction about this fog meter. We'll see what happens when we get there. So We're we measure break it. it. On, uh, we measure it based on fear and God, as uh, the title of our podcast suggests. Uh, we measure its scares and its substance. So on the fear measurement for The Haunting of Hill House, I'm just going to throw the gauntlet down. Um, I'm going to give the fear factor a solid nine for this. I mean, I feel like there are such terrifying moments, both in the, the startles and the scares and in the sort of creepy underbelly of, of what's at play there. So I'm going to give it a nine. Um, I think that I was ready to pull my punch a little bit here sure. uh, because I do think there are scary pieces of material out in the world. If we're talking pure, just like viscera, but something about the experience of the last couple episodes of this series, just get into my veins and reach. I mean, it, it is. What is the phrase Steve uses? That fear and love are what logic something? Uh, fear Relinqu- is the a relinquishing, relinquishing of logic. Relinquishing of logic, yeah. My deepest fears get tapped by this show, mm, yeah. And 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 it 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 abandons logic, um, but also you know. So from that standpoint, I think I'm going to give it a ten, man. I'm going to give it a ten. All right, all right. Well, what would you give it for for the God meter then? <laughs> I'm going to give it a ten. Like, <laughs> I'm going to give it a 10. I'm going to give it a 10. Um, you know, like I, uh, I had, I would have ranked, you know, as, as weird and objective sort of meter as we could find, I would have ranked my first go round of this series, like a seven out of 10. I liked sure. it. Uh, I mean, I came away from this being profoundly moved. Yeah. Well, no surprise here. I am giving it a 10 for the God measurement. My prediction that I was about to make in that we would probably just give almost tens all across the board is exactly what I thought we would do. That means that on the fog meter for the haunting of Hill house, the Netflix original series, we give it a 9.75 on the fog meter. That is a gigantic. I don't even know if we need to tell people whether or not we recommend it. I don't even know if we need to even ask that question. I've seen better. (laughs) We've just spent the last 10 episodes telling people, please watch this show. Please watch this show. Yep. Um, so uh, so I think we will leave it there at a 9.75 for The Haunting of Hill House. Nathan, this has been sprawling. This has been. It has been. Uh, We've sprawled. This, 
Oh my gosh! But I I am so so very glad uh, at your at your formatting for this show. I'm so so very very glad that we had the chance to have this conversation. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Yes, we did it, Reed. Yes, we did it. Awesome. We this made it. Absolutely awesome. We made it out of Hill House. We made it out. Somebody it held was, the door open for us. I, I don't mean, know the who, fact but that we did wasn't a story that we could be told. It's one we had to live, and we've lived it. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I do like all that stuff. do we want to tell the people what we're doing next week? You go ahead. You go ahead and tell them. Uh, guys, we're we're doing it. We're going back to the uh, well that is Jordan Peele's deep artistry next week, and we will be discussing his brand new film. As of the time this releases, about three weeks old, four weeks old. Um, us. So we will be talking about da, us da, da. next week. So hopefully we're going to make enjoyed... it all about us next week. Yeah, that's what that's what's going to happen. <laughs> message um <laughs> you know uh, uh thank you so much for in enduring and hopefully enjoying our goodness gracious our our sprawling epic of a yes series hill house Absolutely. exploration we explore we don't explain that's all we've tried to do uh you guys are awesome thank you reed we'll see you next week thank you guys bye oh heavenly day All the clouds blew away Got no trouble today With anyone The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. You can continue this conversation in a variety of ways, on Twitter, at The Fear of God. On Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast. You can like or follow us on Facebook or join the Fear of God Facebook discussion group. You can follow Reed on Twitter, at Reed Lackey, and Nathan, at The Nathan Rouse. Email us at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com or visit morethanonelesson.com to comment on the official episode posts. And lastly, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Oh, oh,